Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we have two entrepreneurs from Cork who've done very, very well for themselves recently. Very interesting story to tell and an interesting uh, company to boot. John Golding and Joe Lennon of Work Vivo, you're welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Adrian. Great to be on. Now we're going to get into what the company does and your own story uh, to date. I do note that you guys have been long listed for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. That's right. Yeah, um, probably something we didn't expect this this early in our evolution. We've only we've only launched our company two years ago. We founded three years ago, mm. uh, but we have made a lot of progress in, in those two years. So yeah, we're de- we're delighted. Um, well, what, I mean, I, I assume you're delighted, right? But what I really wanted to ask, <laughs> what I wanted to ask you uh, about it was a couple of things. First of all, um, do you think? If you progress, do you think you'll be told? Do you think do you think you'll actually get a call earlier to turn up? <laughs> to turn up where, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I wonder because some award ceremonies, like I've personally been award, uh, involved in award ceremonies where um, about 50-50, it's a total surprise when you turn up. Yeah. Uh, and then the other 50, you're sort of told, you're either told that you've got it or you're told to make sure that you're there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we're, we'll, we'll go with the flow. Um, we haven't been around that long, so we, we don't have any great expectations of winning anything. We're, we're just delighted. We're genuinely delighted to be nominated. The, um, actually, the EY, um, that whole uh, program is, is very impressive, and, and it was actually interesting when, when the nominations were announced, um, I got a load of texts, and I know Joe was the same, just from people yeah. that had been nominated in previous years that were part of that EY alumni. Mm. Um, and it just it kind of brought it home. There, there is a fantastic alumni that do seem to um, you know, help each other out, add a lot of value. So, no, we're, we're, thrilled. we're thrilled. Isn't it a kind of a funny reflection that you know we're in this brave new world where tech companies like your own are really taking over um, the industrial landscape, and yet at the same time, a relatively uh, established, fuddy-duddy-ish company like Ernst & Young, a, a great company, right? But, um, you know, they have an awards ceremony and, and it still has a lot of currency, you know? Yeah, it does. And like, I put a lot of value in, in just looking at the alumni that are in there, right? Mm. Um, 
There's oh, is, some that, is that what they're called, great, by the way, alumni? Alumni, yeah. There's like actually on the day we got nominated, Peter Coppinger from Teamwork contacted Sean Sheehan from Wise Tech, Shane Evans uh, from Scraping Hub, just companies that have done really well in the last number of years. And they were excited for Joel and myself, and they were excited because you know they see the value in it, and they have seen the value in it over the last couple of years. So mm. that tells me a lot, and um, you know, hearing it from those guys. So I think there's um, it's there's quite a diverse range of companies that's that are part of the program. Mm. So you know, like obviously we're a tech company, but I would say the vast majority of the companies that are involved in the program are actually not tech companies. They're all different types of business. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Um, and we, we've had the opportunity to, to, to meet a lot of the other mm. um, shortlisted people um, over the past couple of weeks. And you know, their stories are, are very interesting. So it's, mm. it seems like a really good program from what we've seen so far. Yeah, I just finished uh, listening to Woody Allen's autobiography. It's a bit controversial even to admit that you've listened to it, but um, uh, but he he had a famous rule about not turning up to the Oscars. I mean, he had I think four or five movies that were nominated in various uh, guys for the Oscars, and he, he won a few as well. But he never bothered turning up because his his attitude was that the work should stand by itself, and he he himself was slightly paranoid about being judged and being being kind of caught in this thing about well, if you win an award, you're you're really good. If you don't, you're an also ran. That that was his own neurosis uh, about it. Um, but um, but anyway, congratulations on being longlisted. I, I didn't mean to go off into a, a huge tangent um, on that. Now, in the last uh, few weeks, you announced a substantial uh, funding round uh, of fourteen point seven million euro, which mm-hmm. is definitely a vindication uh, for what you're doing. Um, what's your own? reflections or thoughts on where the company goes from here and and in raising that kind of money what does that say about the company um i'll, I'll let jump joe jump in on this as well but i suppose first of all we're delighted we we've raised it right it is uh it's i suppose it's a it's a vote of confidence um we hadn't planned to raise any any funding um we've been I suppose Joe and myself come from a background of of um, of growing profitably, and we we were bought in in core HR prior to starting Work Vivo, and that that was our model, right? We we grew a company profitably, so what in our DNA? It's not it's not in our DNA to you know look for funding to grow. It's like you know the best funding you can get is from from customers, right? Acquire customers, grow through uh, that way, um. Over the last while, we've been—I suppose—we've been spending a lot of time in, you know, West Coast Silicon Valley, um, because we've acquired, you know, some great customers over there, and it does influence your thinking. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to get Eric Wan from Zoom on board, and just even conversations with Eric, it's there's definitely a level of ambition in in Silicon Valley where you know there's a there's a path you go down, and if you if you've if you've proven kind of product market fit and you've you've acquired great customers, you know it's almost like what are you waiting for? You know. Now, when and, you when you got Eric on board, that was before Zoom had really blown up into this big global emerging star of the pandemic. Um, but what what was that like? What what was that relationship like? What did how did you approach him? What did he see in in WorkVivo? 
Um, so we were introduced to Eric by a mutual customer. So there's a, there's a customer uh, of ours that's also a customer of uh, Zoom. And that customer suggested to, to Eric and to ourselves that we, sh- you know, we should meet, right? We were, we're in the same ecosystem. We both do communications, but we don't compete. Uh, so we were introduced to Eric. We had you know, some Zoom calls, uh, obviously, and uh, just got to know him, showed him the product. Uh, he really liked the product and, and he asked to be an investor at a, at a time when we weren't looking for any investment. And um, we, had, we had been using the Zoom product for quite a while before that because a lot of the companies we were dealing with um, in, on West Coast US had been using Zoom. And we were just like, we were, you use Zoom, you're impressed with it, you start using it yourself. Um, and we, we could see the momentum that was behind the company. So it was like, it was a, it was a great vote of confidence for us. We were massively excited. So of course we were going to say yes to that. And he's been, he's been great. He's been a, like, he's been a great friend in terms of, he doesn't ask for anything. He just, you know, I trust you, go do your thing. Let me know when you need help. And if we do ask for help, if we ask for advice, um, he's back within like, within a half an hour you know it's like it's a text it's an email and he's just he's been brilliant he's been brilliant and and i think he's been brilliant in terms of just prodding us in the right direction as well in terms of ambition um Mm. we we had uh uh, zoom's cio on the podcast about a month ago um turns Mm -hmm. out he turns out he's from rathfarnham um harry mosley um it's funny. I was I was actually on a call with Harry last night, just a, a different forum, and uh, people from various parts of the world were invited, like randomly. But Harry was on um, from Zoom, and I was on representing WorkVivo. But before the call started, I was telling Joe earlier we we were having a great conversation about um, a particular part of Cork where Harry's parents grew up in. Um, so small world. It's all local. All, yeah. all tech, like all politics, is, is all, all roads lead back to Cork as well, as, as everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, but just on that Cork thing. So over the the years, one of my remits in terms of writing about tech in Ireland is is often to try and uh, try and get outside Dublin to look outside Dublin for you know uh, pockets of opportunity where clusters uh, are starting. Um, you know, Galway, uh, Cork. And there has been this, been this question down the years, you know, can you scale a company from outside Dublin? It, it's rare enough that some of the big indigenous tech companies are scaled uh, from, from outside them. What's your experience uh, down in Cork? Um, Do you want to take that, John? Yeah, from from my own perspective, I, I think Cork is like has been for for quite some time been a, a really good place to to start a business from. I think you know a lot of the um, infrastructural um, challenges around uh, starting a business in a in a large city like Dublin um, are you know are, it's it, it can be much easier down here from from many uh, uh, sides of the equation. I think one of the um, things that uh, you know we see a lot uh, within Cork is is often the types of business that are started here are you don't necessarily need, need to be in Dublin oftentimes you might need to be in London or in the US or somewhere else and as long as you can get to those places quite easily and you generally can from here um, it tends to work quite well um, I think we've seen like over the last like three or four years and particularly over the last couple of years there's definitely been a resurgence in um, startup activity and in business activity in general in Cork and I think a lot of that has been attributed to 
a lot of the investment in the city been driven back into the city center itself. Mm. Um, I think for like, if you go back 10, 15 years, one of the biggest problems I think that happened in Cork was that all of the investments spread out in what was referred to locally and, and potentially further afield as the digital donut. Um, so there was nothing happening in the center of the city. And then you had these business parks popping up in the suburbs and in um, other parts of the county, even um, where a lot of you know companies were putting 500, 1,000, 2,000 people, and there was a lot of in- innovation and things happening, but there was nothing happening in the city. And any time you try to organize an event or a meetup or anything like that, nobody would ever turn up because everybody was like trying to commute from 30, 40 minutes away, and you'd have to have it at eight o'clock at night in order for anybody to be able to get there on time. See, th- um, that's an interesting and- point in the conversation we're all having now about remote working versus offices, mm-hmm. so, because there is this narrative that one thing the pandemic is going to do is going to push us all away from city living or metropolitan out to more, you know, to wider spaces where we can uh, work with broadband. But I have, I've always had a bit of a problem with that narrative in so far as that's fine if you're over 40, you have your family, you're not into going out much, you're not into mm. the the buzz and and everything else of, of cities. But if you talk to a 24, 25 year old who is at an early stage in their career, that's what they want. They actually want to be in the thick of things in a city or in a in a, in a hub, um, and and you know, f- f- I think for that reason, it's it's very difficult for me to see to your point about why sort of a younger person in the industry would want to be out in one of those suburban hubs rather than in the city. Yeah, so like I think it's it, that's exactly the 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 issue that we've had. I think for the last ten or fifteen years is it's not so much that the talent that's already here that there's there's not opportunities for 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 them. It's more for companies that are growing here and that are um, increasing their the, the the base that they have here. Um, if you know you're not going to be able to attract people from outside, not not just outside of Cork but outside of Ireland to come and move to a to a place if. It's if it doesn't provide that, um, you know, the, the public transport isn't isn't there like you have in Dublin with the Lewis. It's, um, you know, well, you now the Lewis of, only of goes. Park. I mean, I live in an area where the Lewis <laughs> comes nowhere near me or the Dart. Uh, you know, uh, that most of Dublin is not serviced by those excellent uh, uh, rail lines. I mean, I'm on foot or I'm on a bus. Just in no, case, absolutely, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I suppose it's better than nothing. Um, and, you know, yeah. like genuinely in, in Cork at the moment, it's, you know, it's the bus is, is your is your public transport uh, to get into the city centre. And obviously that suffers from all the same problems as, as cars do in terms of traffic. And we have some green corridors, but there's not enough. And mm. um, so it's not it's not it's not attractive for somebody to come and move to Cork and live in Carrigaline or Ballincolleg. Um, if, as you said, if they're young and in their twenties, and you know they want to live in a bustling city centre, yeah, um, and, and even the whole point about living—I mean, it, it, the point is often made, yeah, but you know, people are s- sick of living in shoeboxes. Totally fair point. But if mm. I was twenty-four and you gave me the choice of living in a shoebox in the middle of town where everything's happening, or a spacious bungalow, you know, forty kilometres uh, outside where I had my own half acre. No, there's no contest, you know. Now, maybe now I, I choose the bungalow, but but no contest when I'm younger. Yeah, and I, and I think, like personally, I think it'll end up being a hybrid, right? And I just even bring it back to what we're planning to do, right? So we've we've already polled everybody in our company, and the general sense is that most people would like a hybrid. Um, 
and we've a fairly young demographic and i think yeah you're right i think the social side of it um is going to be important and, and we're already planning you know if we're not in the office um most days or or there's only certain people in the office then you know we'll need to plan a kind of once a month night out or just the social angle right and for for younger people i think that becomes particularly important um, just going back to a couple of points on on Cork, right? We love talking about Cork, by the way. This could be a whole series, Adrian. <laughs> um, but no, I think one of the interesting things for me about Cork is if you look at the companies that have come into Cork over the last while, and when I say over the last while, over, the, over recent decades, right? So Apple's European HQ is in Cork. You've got Dell. Uh, formerly EMC in Cork, you've got the likes of Flex, you've got Arlo Technologies, Netgear, you've got so many great companies that have that are US companies, right? That are that are based in Cork for a number of decades now. And I think what that's done is, and I consider myself, you know, very fortunate to have worked in in a US uh, multinational. But there there are a lot of people in Cork who have worked in these multinationals, have ended up just working with. Californian executives, East Coast executives have built up experience. And ha- like for me, like I consider myself fortunate to, to have seen what good looks like, right? You work in a US corporation that's, you know, market leader. You do get to see what good looks like in terms of customer experience, product, like every touch point, um, you, you know what good looks like. And I think when, when you see that, um, you, you just have a lot of people, you have a whole ecosystem um, or community that have that experience, have are used to dealing with US uh, execs, know the whole process and can bring that experience to bear in a, in a startup. And then I think combined with that, you have, um, you have a startup community, the likes of, you know, teamwork and these guys that um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in sport, you know, the ladies camogie using it uh, recently, you know, you've got to see it to be it. And I think we're, you know, we're lucky enough to have seen great examples over the last number of years of companies that have done really well growing from Cork. And I think it just creates an ecosystem and, and people will follow and you can see that it can be done and you can see that, well, do you know what, you can, you can raise money from Cork, you can grow a company, you can acquire and you can acquire customers in the US from Cork. Um, and I think that just, it's like, you know, you look at Silicon Valley, right? There's a level of ambition in Silicon Valley and it's fueled by, I'm likely to be working with somebody who's worked in a startup. I'm likely to know somebody. And there's just a natural ecosystem there that creates mm-hmm. a level of ambition. And um, I I go back to, if I look at 2019, um, I traveled to San Francisco six times in 2019 and many of those trips were, didn't have an agenda, but when I booked them, obviously I filled up the week, you know, with, with stuff uh, before I traveled, but, but, but a big reason for, for just making sure I got there as often as I did was just being in that ecosystem creates a level of ambition and you, you get to see what is achievable. And, um, and I think we're lucky enough to have, um, a nice bit of that in Cork over the last number of while based on the companies that have come in. And I think it's just, mm. it's naturally benefited us. You, you mentioned uh, raising uh, money there. A question I often ask founders, and it, it completely varies on the conditions of the time, the, the mm. f- financial climate, everything else. When you're looking 
for or you're considering funding and you're in that conversation how do you actually arrive at a figure what are the dynamics is is it mostly an external consideration based on the funding climate of the time of your peers of how much money is available of the size of the funds of the ambitions of the, of the investors how do, like you you settled on a, a 14.7 million uh, euro mm-hmm. which i don't know what i think is 16 million dollars or so uh, um, mm-hmm. in dollar terms how do you actually arrive at that figure it's it's a great question it's a great question i think um, a number of things factor into it, right? One is, so the market you're in, right? And the market we're in, we're, we're competing against like big players, right? So there's no point in us. It's, it is a little bit of look, go big or go home, right? So there's no point in us raising 3 million um, to take on the market that we've chosen to land ourselves in, right? So, and I think when you're looking for investment, the funny thing is you, you, you look for 5 million investment and some investors will look at that as you, you're not ambitious enough, mm-hmm. right? That, and so there's a lot of things come into play. Um, what also comes into play is just the market appetite for what you're doing, right? And um, no matter, I mean, we, we could put a number on it, but unless the market appetite was there from the investor, um, you know, you're not going to get what you want. So the, the, for us, there was a little bit of, um, we were lucky enough that there was interest in what we were doing. We were, we were lucky enough there was a bit of competitive interest. Uh, we are ambitious, so, you know, we were never going to look for, for 3 million, 5 million. Um, and I think we're, the, the, like Joe and myself have had, we've talked about this a lot over, over the years, that like we see a lot of companies, um, startups who, end up making the investment process an industry and end up Mm. almost seeing the investment process as the measure of success, right? Mm. And we see a lot of startups who end up being way too focused on the investment process. And for us, we've always just been focused on building great product, acquiring customers, right? And the investment thing is almost a look, okay, that's something that we just need to keep an eye on because we need to be well capitalized for growth. And I think that has served us well. Um, so for us, I think the, the big thing is, yeah, we're, we're happy with the level of capitalization we now have, and we don't need to worry about it, right? We're, we were lucky enough, we didn't have to completely, you know, become all consumed with the investment process. We got great investors on board in a relatively frictionless way, allowed us to keep focus on the business. I know we're, you know, we have the capital we need to just drive on so I mean, what's interesting also about it is we're now in an era arguably over the last three to four years where larger u.s funds i mean tiger global has what three and a half four billion dollars uh, mm-hmm. of a fund will now invest in a country like ireland we were talking about cork earlier on cork dublin what's the difference to to a company like uh to, mm. a, to a, an investor like this but they will now actually invest in a company, you know, 3,000 miles away, which, I mean, that, five, six years ago, that was very rare. That, I mean, that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I, I think it does. I mean, it, it sets a precedent as well, right? So I think people become, it's naturally more comfortable with it, right? So like Evervault um, in Dublin have, you know, secured a really nice investment from Sequoia. Um, and I think Sequoia will naturally become more comfortable with, you know, that's going to be a huge success, no doubt. 
and Sakai will become naturally more comfortable with investing in in European and, and mm. Irish um, Irish tech out of that. I, I spoke um, to Shane Curran actually of Evervault actually just yesterday, and I was asking him some of these questions, and he said because I was asking about Sequoia. I mean, you're, you're pitching to Sequoia, the, 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 like these are the masters of the universe. These are the you know uh, globally famous uh, names, and he said actually when it come, came down to it. Um, they were probably the least hassle people to talk to. They were the most casual, the calmest, um, yeah. and 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 maybe the easiest, the the, the ones less likely, least likely to waste your time. Yeah, well, I mean, they've 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 been through it a million times, right? <laughs> so, um, so I'm not I'm not surprised with that. I'm not surprised mm. with that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm doing. I'm writing a big thing uh, about this. Um, soon, and Joe, uh, I came across a fascinating nugget that you wrote. Uh, in a biognet about yourself, about your your first computer, your Amstrad. <laughs> Talk about switching gears. <laughs> yeah, because um, uh, it touched a nerve in me because I was I was that kid as well. <laughs> mine, mine was a, a Sinclair ZX eighty one. You you had a an Amstrad. You might be a little bit younger than me. I think you're. Are you few forty ish? Forty. Thirty five. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I was going to say. 40 in a few years um and you were you were typing up uh source code you're trying to you were trying to create games that's right yeah so that that amstrad um which i bought with my uh first holy communion uh fund uh, that, that's not uh, a bad fund no i'm pretty sure my parents uh, had to top up with with their savings um in order to get the the, the amstrad but um no, it came. It came with a manual, and this manual um, had obviously instructions on how to operate the computer. Because back then, you know, you had no real user interfaces or anything like that. It was it was a command line, and that was it. Um, but at the back of this manual, there was about three hundred pages of source code um, teaching you how to build um, a tennis game. I think there was a basketball game and pong and all of the mm -hmm. all of all of the classic games that you would have had on on the kind of arcade style um, consoles of the era. Um, and I, as a seven or eight year old, not having a you know, not having a clue, firstly how to type, um, but uh, not having an iota what any of this stuff actually meant, um, spent hours on end typing the source code um, into into the computer, hoping that the game would would work at the end. And uh, I think I may have gotten one of them to work, <laughs> but um, it took me a long time to figure out that you could actually like put code into an editor and save it. Um, you know, I thought that you'd have to enter it line by line every time. So anytime I wanted to start this game, I'd have to type in three or 400 lines of source code. But um, so I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll see your line by line manual process, right? And I'll raise you, okay? You probably don't remember. There was a computer called the ZX eighty one. Is a Sinclair. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior to the uh, Spectrum, one of the distinguishing things about it was that it had a flat, hard keyboard. So it was you. It was like pressing down on a piece of cardboard. Okay, but the other <laughs> distinguishing thing is when you were doing that code, as I trying to do in Basic or or whatever, whatever else. Every time you hit a character, not only would the entire line, but the entire screen had to refresh. So you hit A and the whole screen. So by the time you were down at your 60th line, like the screen was, re the screen would literally take about four seconds to refresh for each character. And yet I still managed to bang out of something like a 400 line uh, uh, program, which didn't work uh, in, in the end. Um, <laughs> it never worked. <laughs> no, it never worked. Um, but in terms of where you are now and in terms of... Um, you know, uh, creating uh, this company and and 
um, in terms of the, you know, taking a tech perspective, how much did the tech inform what you're doing versus the kind of the real world communication problem um, that you would have become, you know, very aware of in previous uh, roles that you guys had? Um, yeah, I think like I think obviously tech plays a, a major part in our in our in our product and platform. I mean, it, it wouldn't exist if we didn't have the the technology to support it, and and obviously the the, the knowings of how to build a product like this are, are very important. I do think though that like the most important thing for us when we set out, and you know, John John has spoken a little bit about our backgrounds, but you know, I've I've been through startups where you know things have been done in the wrong order where you've built a product and then you brought it to market and hope for the best and hope that customers are actually going to want it. Right. So, I mean, you can invest all of, all of the effort and time into building great technology, but if there's no market for it, then it doesn't really matter. Right. So um, we were very, very deliberate early on about putting like making sure that we actually had a product or we were building a product that the market wanted before we set out. Right. Mm. So we, we ended up signing up, um, our earliest pilot customers to like to come on board our journey with us before we ever had any product at all. Um, so I think like that like that tech influence and, and product influence in in my own background has really been more of a means to an end rather than like a real driving force of it. Um, so it, it like the driving force behind the, the the functionality and the features of the product itself are really driven by what customers actually need and, and what we're hearing um, from um, the companies that we're working with. And then, you know, we, we use that kind of product background and expertise to put that into effect. And I think, you know, that's that's been something that's worked really well for us from the start is, is the dynamic that myself and John have in terms of the mix of skills that we have between us. So there's this, John will probably agree that there's there's very little overlap in, in terms of what we're strong mm-hmm. at. Like John, John is really good on the, on the customer facing side of things, on sales, on operations. And I'm a techie through and through, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a product guy. I'm never happier than when I'm swimming in cold. And um, the, the combination of those two things have allowed us to like attack this market with a mindset that's very, very customer driven, but with having the product shops to, to, to actually put it into practice. And I think that's worked really well for us. And ultimately, if your wildest dreams came true in the next few years, what level of penetration or engagement like, would, would I be using? Uh, you know, work vivos would you know, typically. Yeah, I I think absolutely. So so the way we think about it, Adrian, is right now, for if you if you're a CIO and you've got a greenfield site, right? We'd like to think that for your communication ecosystem, you'd be planning to use Zoom for your video meetings, conference webinars, and um, you're likely going to be use Slack for your your real-time messaging, your transactional stuff, hey, sharing a document, you know, instant messaging somebody. Um, and then for your bigger communication, for your what's going on in the company, um, you're using WorkVivo. And that's the way, we, that's where we see ourselves. Um, mm. We see ourselves as, you know, sitting alongside Zoom, sitting alongside Slack, and being the, being the platform of choice for organizations where we're the center of the communication world for them. You can, you can have your, you can open up your zoom, you can open up your stack from there, but the, the, the bigger company messaging, what's going on in the company, the positive things that are happening, the recognition is all happening in work people. Um, so yeah, we, we, we'd love to think you'll, you'll I be did, on I, work people at some point. So. I, 
I think as well as that, like one, one thing we're seeing, like obviously there's a very strong focus right now on like employee communication, but I think, you know, companies have um, communication, um, they, they, they need to have strong communications, not just with employees, but obviously with partners and vendors or like, so I, I could definitely see for like your own example, Adrian, um, where, you know, would you be using WorkVivo at some point? I think um, the, the answer to that is absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's how, organizations are communicating with everybody who's involved in you know bringing that company forward so if that's a you know a newspaper or it's um you know a radio or any anyone in there and they're mm -hmm. engaging with people um you know they don't necessarily need to be an employee of the business um, and we're seeing a lot of that in some it's particularly in the larger companies where you know they'd engage with contractors or they might have external vendors that they work with who are very close and, and work on projects with them um, and actually bringing those users on board with WorkVivo as well. So, um, yeah, I think our our plans really are to um, to become that you know that that default um, offering in the space. That when you think of you know employee and and workplace communications, you know the first name that's that's off everybody's lips is is WorkVivo, and that's that's really what we're trying to get. To. I mean, the elephant you mentioned onboarding. The elephant in the room is Microsoft. Um, talk about Zoom. Talk about Slack. Um, in our business, for example, we use uh, Teams quite a lot, mm -hmm. essentially because we've had Microsoft in place for 20 years. Therefore, that's the transition that that, that, that seemed to be the most logical, easy one to make. And email is a stubborn one as well. I mean, email itself, just simple email is, is still a really... Um, it, it's, it's proving, to, despite Slack and others, it's proving to be a very... Uh, tough one to shift substantially, especially when you're talking about customers or contractors. Yeah, so it's just, just a couple of comments on that. I suppose on email, firstly, Adrian, so email email informs people, right? Um, but it doesn't engage. And I think that's the challenge. And with people moving uh, remotely and divert, you know, dispersed workforces, one of the big challenges companies are having is, you know, not how they inform people, but how they engage them. And communication can be a lot more engaging than email. And what we're seeing, for you mentioned Microsoft Teams, um, the kind of communication that appears in WorkVivo is different to Microsoft Teams. And we've done a great integration with Slack, with Zoom. We've uh, an integration with Microsoft Teams uh, that we're releasing in August. But the type of communication you see on Microsoft Teams isn't the kind of communication that shapes the culture of the organization. The kind of communication you see on WorkVivo does shape the culture. It builds that culture of recognition. It aligns people with the goals of the organization. It shines a light on the positive things that are happening in the organization. It's not the transactional stuff that you see on Slack or the transactional stuff that you see on Microsoft Teams. And I think that's where the difference lies. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting cultural conversation, a work culture conversation around a lot of this stuff. One of the advantages to email for a certain type of worker is exactly that lack of intense engagement. In other words, you can have uh, you can get something from your boss, maybe or from somebody else. You can actually let it sit for 15 or 20 minutes mm -hmm. um, and in a very neutral way respond yeah. uh, when you want, as opposed to that 15 or 20 minutes being weighted in some way, you know, positive or negative. Yeah, and I, th I think like for us, we use the term, you know, transactional for the likes of Slack and, and, and Teams or synchronous, right? 
where there is an expectation if you receive a Slack message, you're going to respond to it, right? On WorkVivo, the difference for our platform is you can you can log into WorkVivo, open up WorkVivo, um, where you've been out of the office for the last two days, three days, week, and as you're going scrolling down through the activity feed, you're quickly catching up on what's been happening in the organization and the good things that have been happening, uh, the things that are shaping the culture, the positive things. And that's very different to the, the transactional kind of stuff that you're talking about with, with Slack. Um, so it's more the asynchronous that, that, um, that we're talking about. And broadcast messages, if, if a CEO sends a broadcast message on email, it just doesn't have the same engagement as an update on WorkVivo. Like what we're seeing, we're seeing CEOs of companies that are using our platform. They're sending out video updates to, to, to people. Um, there's, you know, if an update has an image attached to it, it's just instantly more engaging. And it's not something you need to respond to, but it is something you can engage with. You can like, you can comment. And they're all the things that, that shape the culture and, and just, you know, um, create uh, create a much more positive experience for, for colleagues. Mm -hmm. Fair point. Um, just bef be before we uh, before we wrap this up, um, so what? Where do you see the next few years? You're, you're well funded now. You've uh, you know what you're doing. Um, is it now all about just trying to expand the uh, the, the commercial customers? Yeah, I, th I think a couple of things. I think um, for us, we've we've enjoyed the experience up to now, right? So. We're, we're ambitious. We want to keep enjoying it. Um, we're in the mix in an ecosystem where you know, we've got, we've, there's big competitors out there. Um, but we want to take it as far as we can take it, what that looks like. You know, we're not going to predefine what success looks like. I think success for us is that um, we take it as far as we can take it. We've got great momentum. We've got, you know, we're well capitalized now. So the the ingredients are there um, for us in terms of, you know, we've shown we can acquire like fantastic customers in the US and real enterprise customers. So the ingredients are there. And I think the intention, Adrian, is we're going to continue in, to enjoy it and, and see how far we can we can take it. Mm. Yeah. And Joe, yeah, I, I trust you have a, a nicer computer now. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm on a 16-inch MacBook Pro these days, um, so I'm, I'm very stereotypical. Uh, so non-butterfly keyboard, the new keyboard. <laughs> oh yeah, to, my, my 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 command key my command key gave up on me there a few weeks back, so we had to we had to go to the latest version. But um, yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's a nice piece of kit. But I, I'm very I'm very stereotypical. Uh, your typical developer there. <laughs> well, listen, guys, it's been a pleasure having you on. A kind of fascinating story. I hope to to talk to you again soon at some point. Hope you'll come back and and uh, let us know how you're getting on. But um, for the uh, for the moment, John Golding, Joe Lennon, uh, co-founders of WorkVivo. Thank you very much. Uh, for joining the podcast. Um, and that is all we have time for this week on The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of The Irish and The Sunday Independent. Uh, we'll be back exactly the same time next week. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.